Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Today on Inside Politics, a last-ditch plea. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky just left Capitol Hill after meeting with House Speaker Mike Johnson and the entire United States Senate. Zelensky is trying desperately to secure the critical funding his country needs to defend itself against Russia, but time is running out. Just moments ago, House Speaker Johnson spoke to reporters right after his meeting with Zelensky ended. Uh, The Senate has been MIA on this. The House passed H.R. 2 six months ago, more than six months ago. It's been sitting and collecting dust on Chuck Schumer's desk. I have told him personally, I've told the National Security Advisor, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, that these are our conditions because these are the conditions of the American people. And we are resolute on that. It is not the House's issue right now. The issue is with the White House and the Senate. And I implore them to do their job because the time is urgent and we do want to do the right thing here. With that, I'll As you just heard, Republicans are insisting they will not back more funding for Ukraine unless Democrats agree to major border policy changes uh, in the United States. We're covering this story from all angles. Let's start with CNN's Manu Raju on Capitol Hill. Nick Peyton Walsh is in eastern Ukraine. Nick, we'll get to you in a second. Manu. Yeah, despite these urgent pleas, Dana, nothing really has changed in terms of the dynamics on Capitol Hill. You heard Speaker Johnson right there, and that's been echoed down the line by Republicans saying that there needs to be a deal on immigration policy first to deal with the surge of migrants across the U.S. border with Mexico before they will allow more aid to Ukraine to move forward. But the proposals to clamp down on border security, provide, deal with the issues about asylum policy, parole policy, things that Democrats say they simply will not accept, which is why we are seeing a round of finger pointing, despite the efforts by Zelensky to try to unite the two parties behind the Ukrainian cause, a division within Congress about how to exactly go about approving that critical aid. Now, you heard from Zelensky there, uh, sorry, Johnson there, but in talking to senators as well, people who left that meeting that they had with Zelensky, it is clear that that divide over immigration still persists with no clarity about how they will get resolved. I'm angry and I'm disappointed. Angry that we would consider walking away from Ukraine at this moment in their history. For almost two years, they have fought off the most powerful military in the world and given their lives to do it, and we said we stand by your side. There is zero chance that an aid package to Ukraine and to Israel uh, will pass the House without real meaningful, real meaningful border uh, security. So, yeah, as you heard from Senator Mark Wayne Mullen there, Israel aid also caught up in this stalemate. But, Dana, there is an expectation on Capitol Hill that lawmakers may actually leave for the 
Christmas holiday and not come back until the new year, punting this issue even further into the new year, even as Zelensky made that push for money immediately, saying it's needed for air missile defense systems and warning about the possibility of Ukraine unable to beat back Russia if that money does not come. He did tell lawmakers, though, I'm told, that he is still counting on USA to come through. But as you can hear right there, unclear how that will happen or if this will continue to drag on as, as Ukraine struggles in his fight against Russia. I mean, what a big, yeah. big deal, Manu, for a wartime leader to come to the United States, walk the halls of the United States Capitol, meet with his leadership. And it looks like he is going to leave in the short term empty handed. Really, really stunning, especially. Thank you, Manu. When you think about what was happening a year ago at this time, last year, Vladimir Zelensky received a hero's welcome, a standing ovation before uh, a joint session of Congress, which he addressed. CNN's Nick Peyton Walsh is live on the ground in eastern Ukraine. Nick, what does the view look like from there? Yeah, bleak, to be honest. And I think many Ukrainians confused as to what this bartering over U.S. border security, a problem that's been growing for decades, has to do and what necessarily has changed in U.S. perception. I think there's a recognition that the counteroffensive didn't go the way that NATO, the way that Ukraine had hoped, didn't have the glowing success that could have justified the billions spent. But requests from those on the Hill for a kind of ultimate price tag, I think, misunderstand the nature of the war here. It's essentially about giving Russia uh, an adequate setback that potentially Ukraine can be happy with imposing terms of peace. But every day here, it is absolutely clear Russia will continue to push forwards. We're seeing that in the east and around a town called Avdivka, where there is heavy fighting at the moment across Ukraine right now. Clearly, there's been some sort of cyber attack, which is damaging cell phone access. Ukraine security services pointing the finger clearly at Russia for that as well. It means that here in Zaporizhia, the street lights are going to be turned out manually tonight because cell phones are out. It means in some areas too, uh, the air siren system that comes up on your phone isn't going to work. A feeling of infrastructure again being attacked by Russia here to make this already miserable winter yet more grim for Ukrainians. And the front line too here, you know, we saw ourselves down in Kherson, a city liberated pretty much a year ago now, but bombarded daily, intensely by Russia from just across the other side of the river in Russian-occupied territory. It's kind of a, a symbol for why Ukraine doesn't want to talk about a sort of hot peace to accepting diplomatically its current front lines uh, with Russia in occupied territory as being a new border for them. Kherson is pounded relentlessly. Russia won't let them be. And so many Ukrainians are worried that they're essentially going to have to live with that sort of aggressive neighbor trying to take more ground off them again and again as Moscow refits, re-equips uh, in potentially the months ahead. So the conversations happening now between Zelensky and Congress Congressmen and senators, utterly a matter of life and death here for the frontline soldiers we've been talking to. They're angry, they're steadfast, and they're going to have to fight forwards because they have no choice. But they're very aware that USAID is essentially the reason, and European aid too, and that unity is the reason why more of Ukraine is not currently under Russian occupation. This is an existential question, frankly, for European security, and it's Ukraine holding Russia back at the moment. Dana? Pretty remarkable that we are at this point uh, right now. Nick Payton Walsh, thank you so much for your excellent reporting. Appreciate it.
And let's bring in our panel of political reporters to talk about why we are where we are. Paul Kane of The Washington Post, Laura Barone-Lopez of the PBS NewsHour, Jeff Mason of Reuters, and CNN's Eva McKend. Uh, Jeff, I want to start with you. You've uh, covered the White House for a few years. A few years. How frustrated are they inside the White House that they cannot convince uh, the Congress, even Republicans who are the most supportive of Ukraine? Uh, Of course, Republicans are divided on on even to fund Ukraine at all. But there are some who say, yes, they should, but not before dealing with U.S. immigration policy. For sure. Deeply frustrated. And it's, it's not just their concern about Ukraine itself and this conflict, which of course is at the core of why they want to get funding to, the, to Ukraine and they want to protect Europe and they want to protect democracy. But there is also a legitimate political risk to President Biden if this doesn't go through. One of his main foreign policy sort of victories that he likes to talk about is having coalesced NATO, coalesced the West in, to stand up against Russian aggression. If they're not able to put money where their mouth is, which right now it looks like he won't be able to do, that makes him look weaker going into the 2024 election. And let's listen to what John Kirby, the National Security Council spokesman, said about what the president plans to talk about with President Zelensky, which is going to happen this afternoon. So he's going to make it clear to President Zelensky that he's not giving up on this uh, and that he really wants to get that supplemental funding passed. He and our team are going to be working with Senate Democrats to see if there's some sort of compromise that can be had to to get uh, that supplemental funding uh, supported. And, of course, to work with the other side on border security issues. The president believes that's important, too. Laura? Yeah, I think on the border security thing, it's interesting that Republicans are saying that all they want is border security. President Biden put in his supplemental request money for the border, specifically on giving more money for uh, for officers, for patrol, for any resources that Border Patrol might need to man the border. That was what he was willing to give on. What Republicans are asking now is to severely restrict asylum, parole systems that the president has actually used since he's been in office to allow in Afghan uh, people, to allow in Ukrainians because of the humanitarian crises that they're facing in their country. And these proposals would severely restrict that. It would, they would also potentially grant the president, any president, new authority to completely shut down the border. So a lot of these are pretty much no-goes for a majority of Democrats. And so President Biden is feeling a lot of pressure from his left as well to not concede on these uh, border policies that would be uh, a lot of things that Republicans could throw to their base. And Paul, you have covered the Hill for a long time and you know the rhythms of of Congress and the political pressures that Laura was just talking about uh, better than anybody. Let's just look for a minute at what we're talking about, the specifics of what President Biden is requesting. Of course, it's $61.4 billion for Ukraine, uh, money for Israel, also Taiwan. And there is money there for border security. But the point that Laura was making is it's not about the money. It's about the policy changes that Republicans are demanding as part of this package. Yeah, and it's very important to understand and break this down to Who is blocking this? It's not the Senate. It's not the House Democrats. It's not Senate Republicans. It is entirely House Republicans. It is one of the four caucuses and basically the hold about 80 to 100 of them have on their speaker. 
What you saw today in the highlight clip was Mitch McConnell, the Republican Senate leader, and Chuck Schumer, the Democratic Senate leader, walking with Zelensky. There is public footage of Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic minority leader, walking with Zelensky. There is no footage of Speaker Mike Johnson walking with him. He would not be seen in public with Zelensky. It was the same way the last time he visited, and Kevin McCarthy, then the Speaker, hid from public and would mm. not be seen with Zelensky. Senate Republicans, Mark Wayne Mullen, what he told Manu was, there is zero chance that it will pass the House. So the Senate Republicans are doing all of this really because they know that the House Republicans cannot support Ukraine because of their fear of Donald Trump yeah. and their fear of what their primary voters will do. This is a small subset of American voters, voters in Republican primaries who have scared the bejesus out of House Republicans, and it is going to have a massive global impact. Yeah, it, it will. I mean, those, that's such a, an important way to break it down. And Eva, you covered uh, Mitch McConnell for a long time, covering the Kentucky delegation. It, it is noteworthy to see the imagery of McConnell walking with Schumer, walking with Zelensky. Uh, and as Paul was saying, the, the difference, I mean, certainly that's a show of support and a show of unity, but not like being invited, at the, the president of Ukraine being invited to speak to a joint session last year. Well, for Mitch McConnell, he's just being consistent because this has always been his view. He sees this as a national security priority. But Dana, frankly, as time goes on, this was always going to be politically challenging to sustain this level of support for Ukraine. I think the immigration policy that Republicans are throwing at this now is a bit of a red herring because they know that most Democrats are not going to support severely draconian policies at the border. And it is to mask that so many House Republicans don't support Ukraine sort of no matter what. Mm -hmm. I will say this, we don't see Democrats outspoken on this issue in the House, but I think that they are glad for Republicans to sort of take the fire for this. But also some of these Democrats find it challenging to go back to their districts and explain at a time when many Americans are suffering why this, uh, this sustained level of economic support is necessary. Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting because you're right, we're not hearing a ton. We're hearing some from House Democrats. We're hearing from Senate. You're right, we're hearing from Senate Democrats. Let's listen to Chris Murphy of Connecticut. I don't think that um, Vladimir Putin should be given a green light to invade uh, and conquer Ukraine and Europe simply because uh, for 40 years we've had a tough time coming to a conclusion on immigration policy. But listen, Poppy, we're going to work at this. I I'm, I'm at the table. I hear what Republicans have been saying. We're going to try to come to a conclusion. And I'm sitting down with Senator Lankford and others in good faith this week. Not giving up. He's not giving up, and Biden's not giving up either. You'll see him with President Zelensky this afternoon giving a press conference together, which is pretty rare at the White House. A show of support that will continue, but he needs someone to send and write a check. Okay, everybody stand by. Before we head to a break, this just into CNN. House Republicans took another step toward impeaching President Biden. The powerful Rules Committee just approved a bill to officially launch an impeachment inquiry. That means the full House could vote on it as soon as tomorrow before leaving town for the holidays. Now, it is likely to pass after several skeptical moderate Republicans have come out in favor of it, though they say it doesn't mean that they're ready to actually impeach the president, that it is just the beginning 
of a formal inquiry. Up next, one of the most sought-after endorsements, the presidential primary season, is expected tonight. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Big political news out of New Hampshire today. Sources confirmed to CNN that Governor Chris Sununu plans to endorse Nikki Haley at a rally tonight in Manchester. He's all in, one Republican close to Sununu told CNN. There's no doubt it is a boost for Nikki Haley, but the question, of course, is will it be enough to matter? When you look at the big picture, CNN's poll last month in the Granite State had Donald Trump up by more than 20 points, though Haley is a strong second. Our political panel is back with us. Eva, you've spent a good amount of time with Nikki Haley on the campaign trail. What's your sense? Well, I think the Sununu endorsement further reinforces her as the pragmatic choice in this Republican primary. She has been honing in on this electability argument. In a general matchup, I would be a better person to go up against President Biden than Donald Trump. But it could also serve as a liability, right? Some of these Republican primary voters don't want the pragmatic choice. Uh, they want someone who is going to throw them more uh, red meat and uh, someone that is closer, if not Trump, closer to Trump, which would be uh, Governor DeSantis. So we'll see how much this helps her. Uh, certainly it could help with fundraising, though, it, as she continues to get more and more momentum. Yeah, and one of the, Laura, one of the, key factors in New Hampshire that I don't think we could forget is that New Hampshire is a primary process in which independents can vote. Democrats can participate if they want to. They mm -hmm. can change, uh, particularly since there's no Democratic primary. That is a real viable possibility. And that could change the dynamic when it comes to how the primary will look. Yeah, and it could very well help her because this endorsement could with those independents that you mentioned, because New Hampshire, I think more than Iowa and some of the other early states, has a contingent of 
you know, right-leaning independents or Republicans that aren't exactly in favor of Trump. We've seen where candidates like Chris Christie and Nikki Haley seem to be getting a bit more attention in a state like New Hampshire because there are more independent-minded Republican voters there. That being said, in the grander scheme of things, do I think that this endorsement helps Haley surpass Trump? No. I mean, right now, Republican voters, the Republican base, in poll after poll has demonstrated that they're not necessarily interested in the type of policy-forward campaign she may be trying to run. They're interested in the emotions and the revenge and the retribution of Donald Trump. Paul, I want you to listen to what Nikki Haley said uh, yesterday about Donald Trump. It's not about fitness. I think he's fit to be president. It's should he be president. I don't think he should be president. You know, I thought he was the right president at the right time. I agreed with a lot of his policies. The problem is, you see, our country is in disarray. Our world is on fire. And you can't defeat Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And Donald Trump brings us chaos. He's fit to be president, but he shouldn't be president. She's trying to thread that needle. Um, because look, in New Hampshire, you had that poll up there. Uh, Trump is at 42 percent. That's we can put it back up. That's basically where he has been for almost six months now. Almost every poll shows him at 42, 43, 41. So there's a large pocket of New Hampshire voters that don't want Trump. She is trying to corral all of them. Christie is getting 14 percent. Those are voters that most likely would go to her if he were to bow out and endorse her. She's trying to corral as many of them as possible, but then still sort of appeal to Trump voters as, oh, I don't hate him, I just don't think he can win. Well, on the Christie factor, I was in Alabama last week and talked to the former New Jersey governor after the debate where he really came to Nikki Haley's defense and asked about that dynamic. Listen to this. It seemed as though you were forming a bit of an alliance with her. No, it's not me, you know, forming an alliance with Nikki Haley. Wait till you see what's going to happen over the next seven weeks. What's going to happen? We're going to be competing against each other hard to try to win New Hampshire, I suspect. 14% is not nothing. No, it's not nothing. And New Hampshire's a place to take down Donald Trump if they're going to take him down. Iowa, New Hampshire, those earlier states, the only chance Republican candidates have of changing the trajectory in this race is to do it early. So the Sununu endorsement helps because it gives her a little bit of momentum. Um, but Christie staying in and, and fighting her doesn't help what I think is probably a joint cause. Even if they are still running against each other, they both want to bring down the former president. Yeah, but in a very different way. A different he, way. he answers the question uh, to whether or not Donald Trump is fit to be president by saying no. He's yeah. not. And she says yes. Not threatening yes, the but. deal, and yeah. she is. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Okay, everybody stand by. Up next, we're going to talk about what this news out of New Hampshire means for Governor Ron DeSantis. His campaign manager will be here to answer my questions when we return. With fewer than five weeks to go until the Iowa caucuses, Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis is in the Hawkeye State, where he will join CNN for a town hall tonight with my colleague Jake Tapper. Here with me now is Ron DeSantis, his campaign manager, James Uthmeyer. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Let's actually begin in New Hampshire, where Governor Chris Sununu is poised to endorse Nikki Haley. You remember when the Iowa governor, Kim Reynolds, endorsed your candidate last month, the governor touted it as very meaningful. Is this meaningful for Nikki Haley in New Hampshire? 
Sure, it's meaningful, but I think the thing that's going to influence New Hampshire the most uh, is the very first in the nation state to go out and vote, the Iowa caucus. I think on January 15th, uh, when people go out and cast their vote and everybody sees Ron DeSantis as the true Trump alternative, when they see him uh, below projections and expectations out of the water, uh, that momentum will go into New Hampshire. And that momentum will certainly be more important than any one endorsement. Uh, but let's not forget, Ron DeSantis has endorsed from over 60 state legislators. I think Nikki Haley has fewer than five. Uh, so he's the grassroots candidate. He's building this campaign from the bottom up, and we expect there to be a lot of momentum because his themes of freedom, you know, making Florida the free state, focusing on uh, freedom from government overreach, eliminating state agencies, COVID freedom, medical freedom, uh, that, that theme ties in nicely in New Hampshire, and people love it. You talked about the endorsements that uh, your candidate, Governor DeSantis, has. In addition to the Iowa governor, he has the top evangelical leader in Iowa, Bob Vanderplatz. And he, he visited all 99 counties in Iowa, the full grassley, as we call it. So given all of that, why is Governor DeSantis still trailing Donald Trump in Iowa by more than 30 points? What's happening? Look, I know you guys like the polls, uh, but the, the polls are the polls. The same polls that predicted Donald Trump would win the Iowa caucus back in 2016, um, they were not accurate. The same polls that predicted a sweeping red wave for Republicans across the country last year, they were inaccurate. Um, no public poll predicted that Ron DeSantis would soar above expectations with a 20-point win. So what do you uh, have that's once, going you know, to defy those polls? state of Florida. It's the organization. Uh, Team DeSantis has an organization in the caucus state uh, that is second to none. It is the most robust infrastructure of any presidential primary team in Iowa uh, to date. Uh, county chairs in every single county, caucus site captains, precinct captains, hundreds of people spread across the state, inclusive of, of evangelical and church leaders that are going to make sure when it's, you know, in the teens freezing on caucus night, uh, that their strong network of DeSantis supporters goes out to make their case, to bring their friends, bring their neighbors, and uh, see DeSantis uh, fight, win, and then ultimately lead uh, following that great night and moving on into New Hampshire with the momentum. And James, I remember uh, the Iowa caucuses back in the beginning of, of 2016, and uh, you're right, the polls showed that Donald Trump would do well, but we also knew when reporting very uh, aggressively about the fact that he had like no organization on the ground in Iowa. He does now. The campaign is more of a real campaign. So you're going to have to compete with that uh, and the fact that Donald Trump is pulling in a lot of support from first time caucus goers, which is appear it appears to be different uh, from Ron DeSantis. I mean, would you concede that that is a real challenge for your campaign in Iowa? Listen, if Donald Trump were really winning by 30 points and this election were over, um, Donald Trump would not be shifting attention and moving personnel into the state. I think Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, both of their behaviors, uh, says it all. They see DeSantis as the true threat, the real challenger that can take that victory on caucus night. Uh, so they are moving teams into the state. They're spending tens of millions of dollars jointly together attacking DeSantis, not attacking one another. Uh, and that actually, you know, causes reason to believe that maybe Nikki Haley's running for something 
other than president, maybe a VP pick or a cabinet pick, maybe a, just a spoiler. Uh, but the reality is they are moving teams in, but it is far too late. Uh, the teams that are there to support Ron DeSantis, they've been there for over six months, building out robust networks across the state. That's what it takes to get out the vote on caucus night. And it's too late for any other candidate to be able to successfully do that. You don't think Nikki Haley is truly running to be president of the United States? In a head-to-head -head race with Donald Trump, Nikki Haley uh, would, would lose significantly. She can't reach far and wide throughout, you know, all, but that's all angles from of wanting the Republican Party. Um, so I, I think she's running for something else. And, you know, I, I don't think it's a surprise that she's not spending money or, or attacking Donald Trump on air and is instead attacking Ron DeSantis. Well, on that note, um, your, your boss, your uh, candidate, Ron DeSantis, he... I guess in recent times has been a bit harder on Donald Trump, but it's not as if he is uh, going as far as other candidates and other Republicans who are saying Donald Trump is not fit to be president. I think Ron DeSantis has been clear that, you know, we don't need presidents in their 80s. It's time for younger, um, you know, more energetic leaders with true, you know, experience results. Uh, somebody like Ron DeSantis, who, you know, following a hurricane in the state of Florida, he's working 20 hour days. He's working with engineers to fix bridges in three days, fix roads, get people back in their homes. He's delivering results, hard work day in and day out. Yeah. And uh, I just think the American people deserve a new, more fit, younger, energetic leader. And that is Ron DeSantis. Uh, does he point out the contrast between he and the former president? Absolutely, he does. He's not a guy that plays in the mud. He doesn't name call. He just sticks with the policies and he knows what's right and just and he stands behind it. He's let a principled just, leader with conviction and that's what people want today. Let me just drill down on that for a second because if you just look at where the money is and where the money is being spent, uh, the DeSantis campaign, which you run, the super PAC, multiple super PACs that are supporting him, they've spent nearly $5 million in recent months on ads attacking Nikki Haley. Only. 120,000 has been spent explicitly attacking the clear frontrunner, Donald Trump. That's according to our, uh, my colleague David Wright, who has crunched these numbers. So if you are trying to get the guy out in front, why not actually aggressively go after him? Isn't that the same thing you're saying Nikki Haley is doing? Well, I think Ron DeSantis has pointed out the areas where he certainly disagrees with the former president. Mm -hmm. Namely, I mean, the former president coming out of COVID added over, you know, almost $8 trillion to the national deficit. Uh, that is not the type of spending that Ron DeSantis believes in. Uh, he vetoed appropriation after appropriation after appropriation in the Florida legislature and ultimately sent back a record-setting $300 million plus in tax reliefs to Floridians uh, through toll relief and permanent tax relief on family goods baby products, diapers, clothing, uh, things of that nature. So he's pointed out the contrast. Uh, obviously, we can't control what all the outside groups are doing, uh, but I have seen some of the ads, and I think they're rightly pointing out some of the contradictions that, that Nikki Haley has had in recent past, namely China. Um, she gave away almost half of her state, it seemed, to China through corporate welfare and subsidies, uh, and then now turns around and pretends to be tough on China. Uh, her stances on immigration have also seemed to change. She says she's tough on the border, but then ultimately says, you know, we should let people in if it's necessary for corporations to have adequate employment. Okay. Uh, so I think those ads are pointing out, again, inconsistencies, the typical type of DT, DC politician talk that frustrates people. At the end of the day, Ron DeSantis never backs down, backs down from his principles. 
He is convicted and consistent. Never back down. I've heard that before. <laughs> James, James Uthmeyer, how did I do? Uthmeyer. That's that's pretty close. Uthmeyer, yes, okay. ma'am. Thank right. you for having me. No, thank you for coming uh, thanks on. Thanks for having the boss tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And be sure thanks. to tune in tonight for CNN's town halls with Governor Ron DeSantis. We are live in Iowa tonight. Catch it at 9 p.m. Eastern. Stay with us. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. This just in a new candid message from President Biden on Israel. At a fundraiser in Washington just a short while ago, Biden told donors that Israel is losing support around the world and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu needs to change his hardline government. CNN's Arlette Sines joins us from the White House. Uh, wow, these are pretty uh, stark words from a president who has been uh, in a robust way, supportive of what the Israeli government has been doing. Yeah, that's right, Dana. These are very candid comments, perhaps President Biden's most co candid comments uh, about the conflict between uh, Israel and Hamas. The president made these comments at an off-camera, closed-door fundraiser. So uh, we have uh, a pool report that's offering some quotes from that. Uh, and it said that President Biden had, had warned that Israel was beginning to lose support amid its heavy bombardment of Gaza. And the president suggested that it may be time for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, to change his government. Uh, the quotes uh, say that uh, Netanyahu has a tough decision to make and quote, this is the most conservative government in Israel's history, Biden said, adding that the government doesn't want a two-state solution. Uh, the president added that Israel was beginning to lose support around the world and said Netanyahu, quote, has to strengthen and change the Israeli uh, government. But it does come, as you have seen President Biden, uh, very publicly stand shoulder to shoulder with Netanyahu. But there have been some warnings specifically about the campaign in Gaza and the mounting civilian casualties. Uh, there's been uh, widespread criticism uh, about that, and President Biden has warned uh, Israel to take more caution to protect civilian life. But these are certainly some of the president's most candid comments as he is warning that Netanyahu is losing support around the world. Thank you so much for that, Arlette. And our reporters are back here. Jeff Mason, um, to me, obviously, what Arlette was just reporting is is uh, kind of the headline that he said he warned that Israel is losing support. But also this the second quote, which explains maybe the first quote, this is the most conservative government in Israel's history, adding that the Israeli government doesn't want a two state solution. Yeah. Am I reading too much into this to say that never mind the war, um, that the administration is, and the president himself is starting to see a finish line for Prime Minister Netanyahu and kind of saying the quiet part out loud that maybe it's time for that government to change, which people in Israel expect to happen after the war is over anyway? I think they absolutely do. And I don't think you're reading too much into it. I think the Biden administration is focused on what happens when the war is over. 
and you've heard the president and others in his administration talk about a two-state solution a lot in the last few weeks. They want to be sure that there's somebody in place that actually supports that, and this government doesn't. I think it's also telling that he said um, Israel is doing indiscriminate bombing over Gaza, and it comes after last night he, was, uh, he had a reception at the White House for uh, Hanukkah, and he gave an anecdote about uh, having a picture taken with Bibi Netanyahu decades ago when they first met each other, and he said, on the back of that picture, I wrote an uh, inscription saying, I love you, but I don't agree with anything you say. Mm -hmm. And he followed up by that, followed up with that last night saying, and that pretty much applies today too. So there's a shift. And today, the fundraiser comment and his comment last night is a signal of that. And Paul Kane, uh, you spend all your time on Capitol Hill where uh, there certainly is a lot of support for Israel, bipartisan support, but there is uh, a rift among the president's own party. Yeah, look, the uh, Israel for Democrats is, I'm not comparing the how the wars are being conducted and the players, but in terms of the politics, Israel for Democrats in some ways is becoming like Ukraine for Republicans. It, they, their base, the Democratic base, is not happy with how Israel is conducting this war. And they are, they're showing up at senators' offices here in Washington and back home. They are showing up everywhere and protesting. And so they're, right now, they are the loudest voices on this issue in the Democratic coalition. And Democratic lawmakers are reflecting that. And yet, and yet you have uh, the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, as soon as, as recently as Sunday, on with Jake Tapper, who has said, for some time that Israel needs to be more careful when it comes to civilians uh, and, and killing civilians as they try to root out Hamas, but also said again, he understands and the U.S. government understands that Israel is doing its best to root out Hamas and that Hamas is using its own civilians mm -hmm. as human shields. Right. They've been saying both things all along, which is they aren't going to tell Israel how to conduct this war, but then also saying that uh, they need to make sure that they minimize civilian casualties, abide by the laws of war, and they've stressed that over and over again. And you can see that the president, as well as this White House, their patience is wearing thin because they feel as though they've been saying that privately, publicly, in the conversations that the president has with Netanyahu. Uh, he has said this, and yet it appears as though Israel is not really listening to the White House. Yeah, the president is clearly looking for a finish line, and that finish line, the White House does not believe, includes uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on the top of the Israeli government. Really, really interesting development. Stay with us. CNN has new and exclusive reporting on Donald Trump's classified documents case. What our team uncovered about the person who allegedly moved some of the boxes at Mar-a-Lago. clarification on a story we brought you earlier. The House Rules Committee is voting today to move forward with the bill to officially launch an impeachment inquiry to the president. The vote has not actually happened, but will shortly and is expected to pass. Now let's talk about golf tickets, legal representation, and reminders that a job at Mar-a-Lago is still available. New exclusive CNN reporting found that's what Donald Trump and his associates offered to a former Mar-a-Lago worker turned witness in the classified documents case. CNN's Caitlin Polance broke this story. Caitlin. 
Dana, this is something that happened very curious between the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago last summer and the time that Donald Trump was charged. This employee had been a long time working under Trump at Mar-a-Lago, had quit his job around November, uh, and at that time, just days after, got a phone call from Donald Trump, something he very rarely did. And Trump just wanted to ask him why he was leaving his job uh, and also wanted to communicate to him after they had that very gracious phone call, that he was a good guy. This former employee had been witness to quite a few things that ended up making the indictment of Donald Trump and ultimately noticed that not just this phone call from Trump, but there were several interactions he had with other people who are now accused uh, of being conspirators with Donald Trump in this case, that they wanted to know about his legal representation. Why wasn't he using uh, a lawyer paid for by Donald Trump, one of his close friends in this case, also so uh, talked to him about tickets to a golf tournament. Donald Trump would really love to see him very likely at that golf tournament. And then also repeated reminders that he could always return to that job at Mar-a-Lago, something the special counsel's office heard about. And at very least gives us a little insight into how this world around Donald Trump works, how interconnected these people are. So fascinating. Such great reporting as always, Caitlin. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after the break. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.